They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. This week on the Legion Clubhouse, who has the power? I don't know. It's a comic book. Legion of Superheroes number 276, Lord Romdur's Castle. Published June 1981. Written by Jerry Conway with art by Steve Ditko. Synopsis. Evil erupts from a feudal world. Legion of Superheroes 276, Matthew. Lord Romdur's Mm -hmm. Castle. And we should add a lightning effect because every time you say Romdur, the lightning strikes. Uh, here's something that is or, or like the horse, I, I, the horse names like Frau Blucher. Yes, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Uh, there's something I wanted to point out and I want to reach out to Jerry Conway and ask him about this to see if he has a comment. His comment is probably like, I never noticed, but, mm-hmm. uh, the cover of this issue is literally every He-Man and the masters of the universe cover going forward. <laughs> so much so that the where Romdor's castle is located is called Skull Peak. And yeah. this issue came out, what, March of 81, on the shelves right. until June of 81. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, I don't think, comes out until like 83. The TV and, show comes out in 83. I want to say the DC comic doesn't come out until 84? Yeah, but what maybe? I'm saying is, is this where uh, maybe some of the He-Man stuff came from, is from this cover? <laughs> Because again, be. you think about you think about who's the person in the castle. Well, it's the the hawk lady, the lady with the the magic powers. Well, who's the magic power person here? It's Princess Projectra. So uh, she does I, have the same page boy haircut as He Man on the cover of this issue. That's all I'm, I'm not going to say that this issue inspired He Man and the Masters of the Universe, but once you see it, you really can't unsee it. <laughs> Uh, Here's the other thing, and I've talked about this before in past episodes. I know some of our listeners are probably getting tired of it, Mm -hmm. but I really hate high fantasy in a futuristic sci-fi book. Honestly, I'm I'm with you on this one because you know we we've seen this before with the pirates, and we've seen it before with the you know the Arabian Nights and the you know the these are not Legion stories, and even if you have. The you know we do have the extant setting of Projector's Homeworld of Orando, which is which, basically again. My problem is if you're still living in the Bronze Age and you're treating your people like they're Bronze Age serfs, why the heck are you in the Legion of Superheroes? That's <laughs> I, I, if you're in the Bronze Age, how do you get to the Space Age? There's no, I just I don't Ships understand that concept. Now, that being said, mm-hmm. there is a historical precedent set for. Uh, high fantasy in space, right? In the form of Flash Gordon, in the form of everything pre the nuclear age. Because if you go back to early tales of Flash Gordon, early tales of Buck Rogers, a lot of times when they're on those planets, it's here's Flash Gordon fighting a dragon. Here's Flash Gordon Mm -hmm. fighting a a, a Merlin. Here's Flash Gordon. Prince Valiant in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there is a precedent for that, even so much that, when you look at um, like Voyage to the Moon, right? The, the classic Millier uh, uh, silent film. 
or even the Jules Verne, but the, the big screen adaptation, those right. guys, when they get to the moon and they're brought before the moon people, it's like they're in a, a royal palace with like kings, yeah. you know, the, the main Martian is a king and that kind of stuff. So there is a precedent for that, that, you know, medieval fantasy setting in space. But right. by 1981, it really feels played out. And I can see it kind of as a gimmick or a, a kind of a shtick thing, but it does mm. not, it doesn't fit, unfortunately. Except now I say that, when I say that, the villain of this story m- makes sense for this, for this setting. <laughs> well, and of course, the villain of this story, uh, Romdur, Lord Romdur. <laughs> Um, wow, I have terrible dyslexia. Uh, Lord Med, never mind. The villain of this story is atypical for the Legion. And if you go back to, you know, I don't, I don't want to spoiler it because we're, we're going to spoil it. Well, it's a, it's a 25 year old, 30 year old tale. Right. So. Okay. Well, Romder is an anagram. You guys figured out we, you're smart people. We'll, we'll hear from you, but, and, and if you, and if, and if you can't figure him, out the anagram, just keep in mind. That it's a castle with magical peoples and Tobor, fantasy. It's robots spelled backwards. Red Rum, um, Red yeah. Rum. Lord Red Rum, uh, in his earlier appearances when he was just Murdru, mm-hmm. see, because that's Red Rum's been back, um, is atypical for the Legion. And that was part of his shtick. And that's, right. that's where it worked. I mean, mm-hmm. that was exactly what Shooter was doing. What's the perfect villain for this future, future team? Some weird guy with super magical powers that they don't understand and they can't counter who comes from the backwater world of magicians, where all the magicians live. Mm-hmm. But we are Anymore now up to at least, yeah, uh, Xerox. Yeah, Xerox. Xerox, <laughs> the sorcerer's world. Um, but you do have a point where this is now like the 10th or 11th world that we've run into that is based, you know, based on Earth's past or, you know, the the feudal era or, you know, Busby Berkeley musicals, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And mm-hmm. you've really muddied the waters of what made uh, Lord uh, Red Murph interesting in the first place. And I really feel like his appearance, was it after Projectra? It wasn't very long after. It was around the same time, I want to say. Yeah, Projectra didn't have, in her earliest appearances, I don't think, have the established background of my daddy is a king and I grew up in a castle. But um, if I'm wrong on that, I know there are people out there who will uh, correct but Matthew's me. on pay- pain med, so there, you can use that as yeah, your exactly. one-time excuse, Matthew. That's your my one-time one excuse. Shot. It's okay, uh, I, I know everybody's everybody has a favorite legion, and we can all agree that mm-hmm. Princess Projectra is very low on everyone's list. So, I love Projectra in theory, and part of that is because, oh yeah, in uh, theory, yes, it's she's going to get much better when she is a, a magical snake person. So, uh, she gets better before that. But that you know, back when we were in the uh, terrible tabloid wedding issue. That's one of the first Legion stories I can remember. And she had that cool costume and she did all the cool stuff. And, you know, she was like, Superboy, this is the future. And she used her illusion powers well, which, by the way, if you have an illusion caster and your your (laughs) solution to the question of we all have colorful costumes that people will recognize instantly is to throw a green cloak over half your costume. Okay, so You're here's a bad so, legionnaire. So here's the thing. Uh, 
Man, Princess Projector does nothing for race relations in this issue because oh, uh, Shadow Lass, Shadow Lass is running around and she's like, "Oh, I wonder if people uh, act like they've never seen someone blue before." And Princess Projector says something uh, to the effect of, uh, "Oh, why would anyone think any different of you? You're just like the rest," or something that is really yeah. off-putting when it comes to this society can't be beyond the feudal stage of social development. So xenophobia is natural. Oh yeah, is natural, and it's just like no. what. No, don't say that. That is just like making no. an excuse for racism. Now, of all the costume, and then of course you have Chameleon Boy, who mm-hmm. why can't can he shift. turn in into anything? Why does he have to throw a cloak over his head? Maybe to make Shadow Last not feel good. Of all the costumes that fit kind of in this time period, I think mm-hmm. Sun Boys is probably the one that is closest to something you would see in a feudal system. Star Boy, no, but Sun Boy, yes. And I mean, even Sunboy has chunks and a chest emblem. So right, but I think that chest emblem would be very much kind of fitting for that feudal period where you wear your right. crest on, you know, embroidered into your right. into your uniform or something like that. So I'm from the land of the sun. And then, of course, you know, Iron Man rides up on a horse, <laughs> and we learn <sighs> about the Ditko. king being yeah, uh, yeah. So what? It, there are some funky faces in this uh, issue. That Steve Ditko is a very, very talented creator, and Steve Ditko is responsible for Spider-Man and Blue Beetle and The Creeper and some of my favorite characters. 70s Steve Ditko in this issue, uh, and I'm going to throw a little bit of blame at Inker Frank Charmante, is not good. This is not No, it's it's really bad. I mean, there's pages where, like, their faces are, like, really off, and it just looks Mm -hmm. wonkalicious uh, to kind of a spin on it but it, it, the faces in this issue are not good and i could see where you could blame the inker on this i also but, feel like i don't know if this inker did he ever do any jack kirby stuff because it feels like in some of the close-ups it's like oh yeah. there is uh what's his name uh a uh, high father's son from uh you know from the new gods <laughs> frank charamante is uh at this point he's actually very established and i want to say this is 81 i want to say he doesn't I, I don't want to say it like this, but he passes away not long oh. after this work. But yeah, he he's one of those guys. Too much for him. Yeah, he did a bunch of work um, for Will Eisner. Uh, oh, really? I want to say, yeah. And Frank was one of those guys who I honestly think that uh, some of the more successful faces, like the Sun Boy face on page or the Star Boy face on page two, mm-hmm. is that's that's Charmante. That is not Ditko. This is better than the Ditko art we saw an issue or two ago, mm-hmm. but it's still just, it's, it's still got a strippiness in it, right? It, once yeah, you know it it's Steve Ditko again, it's got space, it's got Dr. Strange space strippiness in it. Yeah. And you know, I, I feel like Ditko is more successful and more comfortable with these medieval settings and these people yeah, in maybe. dresses and armor and hats. But I also feel like it's still a weird choice, mm-hmm. uh, Ditko on the Legion. And even if you're having him do this, Ditko on the Legion is just wacky and weird. And the only place that it really works for me in this issue is when they mention Lord Romder and then MC Escher crashes through the wall and he's yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah well, <laughs> and Escher, of course, is throwing he's throwing the devil horns. Right. So, you know, he's the bad guy. Yeah. But I mean, the first thing we see, I am Lord Romder, and it's like a, it's this weird Salvador Dali painting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah, that's straight like, up oh, Ditko stuff. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. is beautiful. That is beautiful. There, there are then, a couple of things that really stood out to me before 
Romdor shows up, um, where the Legion actually question if they're living in a reality because they're walking around and they're like, is this all an illusion? Are we, you know, in the matrix kind of thing? And I think that's interesting that, you know, these uh, comic book characters are starting to realize that someone is watching them and it would only take what another two decades before uh, Garth Ennis turned that on its head and had uh, animal man (laughs) break the fourth wall and say, wait a minute, I'm a cartoon character. Uh, But the other thing that is also curious is they mentioned something, and I don't remember what page it's on, about Mm -hmm. a hollow pick uh, vid or something along the lines of uh, something that's very close to what we would know as the hollow deck. And I was like, wait a minute, is this another instance where now the Legion are influencing Star Trek 20 years later? And I was like, oh, this would be cool because for so long we've seen uh, Legion of Superheroes borrow heavily from Star Trek, so much so that the ship is basically the Enterprise. Yeah. But then I went and did some searching on the history of the Hollow Deck, and guess where the <laughs> Hollow Deck first appeared in the Star uh, Trek animated series in 1973. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, you can't you can't get away from Legion of Superheroes borrowing heavily from the Star Trek. Well, and I'm fine with that because it really does allow you to sort of. You're treading on established ground and utilizing established iconography and kind of, you know, shorthand. Mm-hmm. Comics used to be great for just stealing things. Whatever is cool, whatever is hip and, you know, hot, yeah. whatever the kids love, they would steal. So, you know, if we, Rin Tin Tin is a big deal. So we get, you know, Ace the, the Bat Hound and we get, yeah. uh, what's his name? Rex the Wonder Dog. You get all these right. things and, for a while, you'd have, hey, you know what's really spectacular? Kung Fu. And so we yeah. had a dozen Kung Fu heroes. And I'm just yeah. like, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love seeing that real world kind of bleed into the comics. But No, I don't mind. You know, honestly, I don't mind when you see that kind of an homage. But it's when, you, when you're swiping that it feels yeah. lesser than. And I know that, you know, there's a whole discussion that can be had about swiping versus homage and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at one point we've got one of the characters who's like, I've got a bad feeling about this. And he looks just like Han Solo. And so it's just like, okay, that's a swipe. An homage would be, um, Hey, here's, um, you know, people that are arguing that I'm black and I'm white and we don't like, you know, I'm half black and half white. And the other guy's arguing, mm-hmm. no, I'm half white and half black and we shall never get along together. You know, that would be more of a, of an homage kind of stuff that we see, but we don't see that here. It's just literally a, a, a nudge and a wink to the young kids saying, Hey kids, get it. That's Star Trek. If you're not watching Star Trek, I'm sure it's on reruns on channel 41 on Sundays. <laughs> well, and now, that's you know, a deep you cut also, for those of you who live in Kansas only. Yeah, that is a deep cut. If you're in the Western and central Kansas area in the 1970s and 1980s, you'll know, but you know, you have to look at the comic book industry as a whole. Uh, there is a well-told uh, story about Wally Wood, and I mm-hmm. want to say that the, Wally's quote, he actually had it pasted to his board, never draw what you can copy, yeah, never yeah. copy what you can that trace, a, never trace what you can swipe. And I'm just like, I believe yeah. that is a, actually attributed to Picasso, I want to say. Is it? I think so. Wally Wood, Wally Wood always had it, uh, and I always oh, yeah, see it I'm in sure. comic terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I know that, but I, I'm saying I believe it was Picasso yeah. who had it first, but I could be wrong. But Never in, trace what you can cut out and paste, and I'm like, that, yeah. to me, kind of treats it as more of a business, and I'm, 
I'm also sort of fine with that, you know, but well, I mean, it is a business, right? I mean, I, I mean, it is a business and that's something that I think we should always remember, <laughs> especially in modern day when fandom has gotten so um, sharp, uh, I guess is the yeah. word that I could say. Barbarous. When the, prof- uh, the professionals are overwhelmingly fans and the fans want yes. to be professionals or believe but, themselves to be equal to the professional. True. But when, but I'm guessing more of my example would be so many people complaining about all DC does is print Batman comics these days. Well, that's not right. entirely true. The majority is maybe yes, Batman, but when, you know, they also percent print of Batman your, family. That's right. But when most of your sales are people who want more Batman, then the company, the business model is make more Batman. If everybody suddenly was like, let's make Wonder Woman the top seller or let's make a Naomi the top seller uh, or heaven forbid Bendis's run of Legion, the top seller. Guess what they'd be making more of? Uh, Probably Batman. Yes, probably. But. But. And, you know, I do agree with you on that. I feel like and we are entering a period of time where. DC is coming out of a really, really deep hole. Oh, yeah. Uh, both creatively and, uh, you know, in terms of their, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Economically. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we are seeing the Legion at the forefront of their popular books. This is a book yeah. that is about to be the most popular thing DC has, or actually maybe. It may be, I think, at this, at this point. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you do have that moment of is you know is this what the I, shape of things to come? I always yeah. joke that where goes the Legion, <laughs> then there goes the whole DC universe, and it's really true because if you look at this, you know this particular arc of stories. Well, I mean, and this must getting, be this must be that when the Legion was the most popular because the DC decided to get Steve Ditko, the creator of Spider Man, to come yeah. and work on this book. That's how popular the Legion is. So. Yeah. Anyway, anything else you wanted to wrap up on that thought? I kind of broke in right there. That's okay. I feel like this uh, particular story wants to do something awesome. And I will give them credit. I will give them credit in in terms of a Jerry Conway plot, uh bringing back Mordrew and, you know, having Mordrew be the big bang. Oh, by the way, I said Mordrew. Oh, I um, meant you, well, that's, Rom, you have to say Rom Romdur, and then you get the. I go Romdur, but yeah, bringing back Lord Romdur uh, is actually kind of brilliant here, with the exception of the fact that we get this trippy moment where the stone comes to life, and yeah. a very very good Ditko moment. The stone comes to life and forms into Mordrew, and he's like, you shall be enclosed in a mystic sphere! And then in the space of eight panels, two pages, Starboy single-handedly defeats the villain who sent the most powerful legionnaires fleeing and into the past. That's, that's where I have a little bit of a problem, right? Because Mordrew... Okay, so here's the thing. Here's, mm-hmm. here's, how we can, here's how we can justify this working. Mordrew's mm-hmm. claim is that I came to this planet because all of the magic on Xerox is running out. We can't right. make any more copies. Uh, the toner is the low, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so no science. No <laughs> so I came to this planet because its magic is so young and I'm absorbing it. Which, mm-hmm. you know, he's doing some really powerful things uh, across the country, kidnapping the king. His son uh, is trying mm-hmm. to find his father. Nobody trusts the son. Uh, we don't find out that it's the sun until later, but, um, right. that's no, but night. I can, 
That's I my can, son. I know night and sun. I wonder if you there's can't some see connection. The sun at night. I, I wonder if there's some <laughs> metaphor going on there. But you I can know understand what I why, why the boy I, I can, doesn't have a name. Yes, he's just the boy. Um, because he's not king. It's the, he's the boy that would be king. But anyway. The way that they can bring Mordrew down so easily is because he's weak with magic. He hasn't absorbed his full power, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how we can justify it and, and make excuses. But in reality, you're right. This is the guy that caused the most powerful Legion members to hide in the past. Mm -hmm. And yet he's taken down like that, just literally in just eight panels or six yeah, panels. It's, it's, I mean, it's the kryptonite fact. Actor, to be honest, um, I mean, Mordrew does have the established, um, if I'm buried alive, I have a psychological problem. But, mm -hmm. you know, you can't just say Lex Luthor has kryptonite underpants and that's why he gets away with what he gets away with. You really do need to put a little more into it. And having Mordrew suddenly buried by his castle, while kind of neat and, you know, does give Starboy something to do for the first time in like, I'm going to say six years. I don't remember Starboy being central to a Legion story since uh, Timberwolf died back in, you know, Superboy 197. Um, but it, I don't know. I feel like it's handled badly. And what it feels like is we spend so much time building up the menace and building up the, right. oh, Lord yeah, Romdur. <laughs> That we get to the end of it, and it's like, oh, that is a good reveal, but you know, it's a done in one. Mm -hmm. And I, on the one hand, I love that it's a done in one, but it's also a done badly in one. <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's I'm, unfortunate. I'm, I'm kind of glad because I don't think I could handle this being more than one issue just because of yeah. the setting and just how stilted everything is as far as. Well, let's just say that the yeah. things are about to get worse. Uh, let's just let's just end this issue here. There it, it's is, fine, but it could have been better. There's one wonderful moment that I okay, do need tell to call out, and then we can move on. The final panel of page eighteen, where uh -huh. uh, Phantom Girl is indirectly attacking, and it's this Ditko wacky wild weirdness, but it's all transparent because she's a good ghost, right? And yeah. she looks like she's being blown upwards by a ceiling fan. But it's such a cool, cool image. I'm like, yes, go Ditko. Give us more of this, Ditko. And then he's like, no. No, I'm going to give you Sun or Starboy with a creepy, weird expression on his face as he tries to concentrate and bring the castle down around uh, Ram Ramdor. I've seen that expression before. And you know what that expression says to me? <laughs> you need, need a little bit cheese. more fiber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. I have a question for you, uh, Matthew. There is a discussion that is going around in the Legion verse. Uh, Legion bloggers have retweeted it. Matthew Barton um, on Twitter. I don't know if he's listening to this. I think somehow the Legion Clubhouse Twitter got looped into this. Um mm -hmm. The Legion of Superheroes Before the Darkness Volume 2 apparently is out or close to being out. And one of the people tweeted in the replies, this again is Matthew Barton, is that they have recolored 
a lot of the pages. So the uh, issue, the story that I hate, the Superboy travels to the future to go find Jesus or whatever it is, uh, mm-hmm. Starlight, Star Bright, Farthest Star I See Tonight, that whoop, if whoop, yeah. he's showing those colors in the new volume, and it's completely different. I mean, the colors are much more vibrant, much more saturated. Yellows tend to be greens. Uh, lavenders tend to be deep purples. Light greens turn to be super saturated dark greens. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this recoloring. Uh, on the one hand, for me, I look at this mm-hmm. and say, okay, the printing technology was very different back then. You had different yes. paper quality. You had different inks that, and the way that they would be absorbed into paper were very different, which could have given it that kind of look when maybe they really did want something that was more far out and, and intense. But then we look uh-huh. at stuff like uh, what's happened with uh, the killing joke. We look at things that have happened with the Watchmen, where Gibbons art has been recolored. And a lot of times, sometimes he, uh, I know in one case he has said that he was okay with the recoloring. But a mm-hmm. lot of times the recoloring just looks so far removed from the original that fans are kind of up in arms in that. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. I have long been a critic of uh, especially digital recoloring uh, for a couple of reasons. And I think the primary reason goes back to um, when I read comics for the first time. It was the late 1970s, early 80s. When I read those books, a lot of the comics I read were vintage, which meant that mm-hmm. the pages had actually yeah, you know, broken down, which mm-hmm. changes the nature of the color. And it does shift things. But when you see, like, for instance, there is a, a collection of Walt Simonson's Thor yeah. that they have gone in and not just digitally colored, but digitally like added light sources and graded coloring in there to where it's like, it's really, really complex modern coloring, but it's on a story from 1986 and it doesn't, it doesn't feel appropriate. And I feel like if you're going to recolor a book, you should at least take into account. Well, you know, you should take into account what the original artists, what the colorist, what those people intended. And this is, you know, yeah, you can't always is, do that, but no, you can't. If you look but at this is the part instance, where I have a, a problem. Here's where mm-hmm. I have a problem with it. Okay. Okay. Uh, on the one hand, yes, uh, the printing technology was different then. So we're correcting this now. We have better tape paper, better ink stock, et cetera. Right. The problem is, and this is the thing that again, colorists are starting to get a lot more attention. I would say in the last two or three years for the work that they've been doing. And we look at, uh, and we look at people saying, Hey, can you mention the colorists in, in your reviews? Or can you mention the coloring in, just in a mention, you know, it used to be people would just mention the writer of a book and would rarely mention the artist. And now people are talking more about the artist and the writer together. There are two other people that are a part of the creation of a comic book, and that's the letterer and the colorist. Uh, sometimes the artist and the colorist are the same time. Uh, granted, we can have inkers that are different from the artists uh, and they're adding their own thing. But when you change the color of a comic, you're essentially removing someone from the original history of that comic book, right? Yes. Uh, you're basically saying, oh, well, S- Sam Sam Snade over there, uh, you know, colored it this way, but now we're going to color it different. Negating his work. The artist is still there. The lettering is still there. The writing is still there, but mm-hmm. we have removed the colorist from the process. And I have a little bit of a problem with that uh, because of what's that going. Now on the plus side, 
here's a here's a pro in favor of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Colorista today is getting work and recoloring these comics. True. And I feel like in a lot of ways, if you look at, say, you know, the 60s work of a Jack Kirby or the 60s work at DC of a Kurt Swan, they are not drawing, to me, images that need full digital graded color. They are mm-hmm. drawing stories that are meant to be flat color for color printing. And mm-hmm. sometimes when you, you know, if you go through and you recolor a Steranko in the modern style with computer graded effects and, you know, painterly work, and you add all of these things to it. First of all, you really do need to probably mention that on the book, but there's also that question of, are you actually changing the work? Because for instance, if I were to say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to release a whole bunch of really, really great recordings by Al Jolson. But I'm going to take them and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hand them over to the Neptunes and I'm going to have them produce them so that they have modern beats and they they come together. That's no longer an Al Jolson song. That's Al Jolson featuring the Neptunes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something you have to take into account with comics. If you go back even to, you know, relatively recent books like uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman, if you yeah. look at the original issues, I have a few of the original issues from the, the 90s. And you look at the collections that we have on the thicker, heavier paper, there is a visible difference. And as someone who has, this is, this is my curse. I have a very sensitive color palette. It's just that a lot of it is wrong. And I have, um, I have a particular hobby that I like to do. I'll go find an image from like, say 1942. And I'm like, how am I going to make this look better? And I'm like, well, I can adjust this and I can mess with the gamma and I yeah, can mess so with see, the that's, and, Yeah. So that's right. getting and at that the, point, am I doing the same yeah, thing? Yeah. You are doing and, the exact same thing. Yeah. That's int- I mean, it's a, it's this tight line. And so dear listeners out yeah. there in the Legion uh, clubhouse listening land, wherever you may be around the world, welcome. Um, why don't you drop us an email podcast at majorspoilers.com. Let us know where you stand on the coloring and uh, I'll, uh, I'll provide some of your feedback on an upcoming up, upcoming episode. Uh, I will say that I do appreciate people like the Legion of super bloggers and Legion Omnicon who take the time to tweet at us. Um, whether that be my own personal at major spoilers or mighty King Cobra or the Legion clubhouse uh, accounts. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we get so many tweets that it's hard to keep those in our yeah. queue easily. So it's actually better if you would just drop us an email, but uh, we do appreciate each and every one of you, uh, your thoughts and your comments. Legion of superheroes. Number two seventy seven. the man who chained the earth. Published July 1981. Written by Jerry Conway on plot, Roy Thomas on script. Art, Jimmy Janes on breakdown, with Frank Chiarmonte on finished art. Synopsis, what is the secret of Reflecto? Because you demanded it. <laughs> Enter I Reflecto. No, every any. single person. Even leading up to this issue, I saw on our Twitter feed, our listeners were like, oh, here comes Reflecto. And I'm sure that's how they really meant to read it. But I read it like, here comes Reflecto. And I'm like, yes, Reflecto, the man who reflects and who has a creepy obsession with Phantom Girl. See, for me, the debut in this issue that's more important is not Reflecto making his, well, uh, asterisk first appearance. 
Uh, it's actually this issue scripter, former Marvel editor-in-chief, Roy Thomas, arriving at DC in 1981, uh, reputedly after uh, getting in a fight with uh, current, uh, as of this time, editor-in-chief uh, Jim Shooter, jumping ship across the uh, thing. And this issue announces him as the new regular scripter of the Legion of Superheroes, Stephen. And of course, what that means is uh, in recent Legion rules, he'll be here for like gonna, six He'll be gone <laughs> in for five six issues, issues yeah. and then we'll get like Paul Levitz and then it'll switch. Honestly, back to he else. gets he gets through the Reflecto saga, which is more than I can as a reader. Uh, uh, so there's there's really... a ship going. There's a ship going down in the Pacific. And if you look closely, mm-hmm. you can uh, you can see uh, Kate telling Leo to draw, draw her like one of the French girls. And all the really? horse headed people, all the horse headed people are screaming up into the sky. Please save us. And Camels. Cosmic Boy is just looking down upon them and saying, nay. <laughs> They're camels. Don't you remember uh, that so here's the thing. song by Gordon Lightfoot, The Wreck of the Camel Fitzgerald? <laughs> the look, boat went you straight look, down and they began I, to honestly, drown. In their lungs, they all filled up with water. No. <laughs> I think, honestly, when you look at the first page of The Camel People, their, yeah. their heads are drawn like horses. So when I first looked at this, I was like, oh, these are horse people. I've got to make a nay joke in here. And then it turns out <laughs> that they're actually camel people. And that they are the Dramadorians. Dramadorians. Uh, and, and instead of the packet, instead of the packet, oh, I don't know. It's so anyway, horses would be something different, yes. you know, but you know, you don't have to nag me about them. Not being <laughs> so anyway, but, they spend a, a majority of the issues. You're trying to save this lag, uh, uh, not slag, a uh, grav uh, ship. Uh, mm-hmm. Phantom girl goes underneath the water and she's entangled by some living vines. She passes mm-hmm. out and has a weird dream where she's Lori Lemuris. And is, is making out with, uh, with Jonah's whale. And I don't know if that, that in itself is very telling, but from out of the sky comes reflecto goes down and saves uh, phantom girl. And, uh, everybody saves the, saves the camel people and their, their long, long faces because their ship went down. Well, I will say this about this opening sequence. Yeah. It's eight pages long. It is eight pages long, right? It it's is just like eight pages of camels nearly drowning. But <laughs> it, just... <laughs> it really showcases what Roy Thomas brings yes. to the Legion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that is uh now we have 25 different versions of Spider-Man. Yeah. Because Timberwolf leaps down, he's like, Timberwolf is most definitely here. And Karate Kid is like, I found the weak point of every substance from here to the Pleiades. Oh, yeah. It's kind of interesting. I like it's it's weird that Roy Thomas put so much effort into these Mm -hmm. camel people who I'm sure we will never hear from again after this. Maybe we do. I don't know. But, you know, it's like, (laughs) oh, we are the camel people. And the thing that we fear the most is being out in the ocean because we come from an arid climate. And they just keep going on and on and on and telling more about the backstory of these camel people and how uh, they had to take a great risk in coming here. And wouldn't you know it, our ship is sinking on our maiden voyage. And then they're like, okay, well, um, this dude just swooped in, swooped in and made off with Phantom Girl. We need to go follow him back to metropolis so hop in this ship you guys the accident of this ship uh-huh happens in the pacific ocean right metropolis is on the east coast 
or reflecto east coast yeah ref, <laughs> yeah reflecto goes to legion headquarters everybody rushes out and then moments later the the rescue team shows up with the camel people still in their boats mm-hmm. look like camel talk like people so think about this the accident happened in the pacific ocean right they would have had to have flown all the way across the country to get to legion headquarters they probably could have dropped those camel people off on the West coast of the United States. Or maybe in the desert where they'd be comfortable somewhere yeah, in Arizona. You know, put them in Nevada. Well, presumably I'm, I'm going to give them I mean, the benefit. Otherwise of the they flew all the way around the other way, in which case they could have dropped them literally off in the Gobi desert. Maybe they meant a specific ocean. And these antics were in the Atlantics. Um, I don't know. I I do credit Roy for doing his homework because there are in this opening <laughs> sequence some deep cuts. Uh, for instance, we cut to Legion Cub's house and Brainiac 5 is stunned at the sight of uh, Reflecto. Yeah. He's like, by the fire rings of Yod. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, deep cut because Yod is actually the name that his home planet of Kolu got in like one issue of Adventure Comics in 1966 after having been established as Kolu. But years later, the new 52 reboot is like, hey, is it Yod or is it Kolu? They're like, that nah, doesn't matter. We'll call it Yod. It's Kolu. really, it's really doy backwards. Right. Yod Kolu actually is really, really good if you're backed up and you've had too much cheese. <laughs> I like just this like, that that Brainiac pushes the emergency alert button and it's like the married couple are naked in bed. The uh the couple that we don't know what the relationship is are eating breakfast. And like two panels too. then two panels later. Like literally seconds later, the alarm goes off. Two seconds later, everyone is running outside and uh Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl are completely dressed. It's like they yep. got dressed instantly. Uh <laughs> It's either that or Reflecto stood there for 20 minutes waiting for everyone to come out in a hustle. Well, it's the year 3079. So uh, maybe, maybe they wear transparent Saturn clothing Saturn girl or actually probably just sleeps in a bed of talcum powder so yeah. that she can just slide out of the bed and right into her pleasure. <laughs> right into leather. Anyway, yeah. uh, Reflecto flies off. The camel people are like, hey, um, listen, the there's this, people? there's this Why guy with there? chains that came after us and all this stuff and wildfires like, Hey, lightning lad, why don't you do something about this? And lightning lad says, I would, if I wasn't quitting. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, but wait, oh, but wait, because suddenly the entire planet is, uh, wrapped up with giant iron chains, which I, I don't even, <laughs> we don't even have time in this episode to get into how ridiculous giant chains are in space but if it's giant chains you know that means only one thing Craven the hunter i mean grimbor the chains man has arrived grimbor 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 the huntsman hunting down we we have determined that craven the hunter is um and grimdor are basically the same character right i mean somebody stole one from the other you do make that assertion on a regular basis i do Um, because they're exactly the same i'm grimdor the great hunter i am craven i'm also a great hunter grimdor that's the crossover that's the crossover whatever that's that's the crossover that i want to see right i want to see that justice league jla crossover but instead it's all the villains so it's like lex luthor versus uh kingpin 
We could we could bring back Amalgam Comics and we could yeah, combine yeah. Lex uh, Luthor I don't know if I, I, don't know if I would combine them. But I, I would think, yeah. let's see them take on each other. Like, I would really like to see uh, Lex Luthor take on Kingpin, uh, Craven the Hunter, and Grimdor. Uh, Grimdor. Uh, <laughs> Grim let's see, who else? We could have um, the Fatal Five take on mm-hmm. uh, the Sinister um, the Six. Masters of Evil. Ooh. No, the Sinister Six. That That's way you'd good. have an 11, 11 character team up and, and then you do it in 22 pages. So that you do understand that equal. any single member of the fatal five could literally mop the decks with any lineup of the sinister six. Could they though? And that's what we will have Mondo to discuss. Can destroy a planet with his left hand. And the vulture is a 90 year old man with wings who can ask and you to yet, return the soup faster. And yet Mono's hands of fate, the master will see you has never done it in a single confrontation with okay. the Legion. But, Dwayne Therock Johnson is half robot, he, half I think genius. He, I think Therock Johnson and mm-hmm. um, Doc Ock would mm-hmm. make for a very interesting, interesting battle with one another. I think Therock Johnson would be, what are you a doctor of, gravy? But more <laughs> importantly, you, you would literally, the Sinister Sticks would die. I mean, seriously, the Persuader would walk up to the Rhino, and Rhino would be like, Rhino, I am Russian. And the Persuader would be like, oh, look over there. No, Chop I think you'd up. have uh, uh, Rhino um, taking on Validus. Oh. That would that would be the mashup that you would have. with. I am guys. Russian. I am Lightning Baby. Boom, yeah. bah, bah, boom. Yeah, but who's yeah. the Persuader going to fight then? He is probably going to take on the Vulture. Mm-hmm. And that might be because your easy takedown. Yeah, right. but I think because the vulture is flying around, he might give he might give him a oh. little bit more run for his money with his battle axe because you know he's practiced all of his swooping techniques. But you see, the persuader can cut through anything, even gravity. I know uh, that's, so that's I why bet. the vulture is good at flying. He could probably cut through the vulture's uh, heart medication, <laughs> and then maybe. Oh, oh, uh, oh. You, you gotta have you gotta Elizabeth, have one Elizabeth. Maybe that's the one. Let's see who else has been on the sinister. Oh, well, well we got to get back to this issue anyway. Sinister. Oh, right. You've we're, got a planet enveloped with uh, what chains. three chains, three chains, chains, and yet nobody can skirt around the chains because even if they try to dodge, the chains move into place and will right. kill people. And Energy so, chains. yeah, and so they are Grim Boar goes to the United Federation of Planets and says. <laughs> Give me your monies. And they're like, Make no. Make me the dictator of Earth, or I will destroy it. Which is, and which and is then Jim's stupid. mom is like, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Especially ref- terrorists in bondage gear. Yes, and then Reflecto is secretly hiding, going, I wonder what Phantom Girl is doing right now. <laughs> yeah, and that is that is, And that's creepy. the issue. That is creepy. I mean, he's a stalker. He's a creepy stalker, and he needs to stop it. Well, you know why we're supposed to think he's a creepy stalker. Because he is a creepy stalker. Right, but we're supposed to think, oh, is this really Ultra Boy? Oh, because she had that dream where they were both fish people and making out? Right. She dreamed that they were fish people, but she's like, oh, is there some connection? And you know, I don't know if it's been established at this point, uh, but uh, uh, Reflecto is from Ultra Boy's home planet of oh. Grimbor, not to be confused with Grimbor, the Chains Master. But ask yourself this. If the planet Earth, 
is, uh, I don't know, insert appropriate numbers wide. And this chain yes. that's floating there's, around. There's the no earth, way that this chain could exist. It's got to be an energy chain. I mean, it, it, it has to be. And at, at one point, they do a close-up and it's full of Kirby dots. So yeah. what I believe is that it's actually a force field. Uh, that Grimbor has just, you know, decided that he needs to flavor as chains because that's his whole shtick. Marketing, yeah. marketing yeah. is where Grimbor belongs. Yeah, and then the comedian calls and says, "I want my shtick back." Yeah, but here's something else. You know, I complained a little bit last issue or last, uh, yeah, last episode, issue yeah. earlier in this episode uh-huh. about Sharamonte inks over Ditko. Yeah. Once again, we get Sharamonte inks, although this time it's over Jimmy James. And I feel like right. he did some good things for Ditko and he does less good things for Jimmy James. And both issues end up feeling more Sharamonte than anything else. In fact, you talked about the Kirby influences. Phantom Girl's solo streak when she's under the water mm-hmm. has a close up that looks like a Kirby face. Just flat out looks like Jack Kirby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like, yeah. you know. So I'm thinking maybe well, that's the also issue remember, isn't necessarily James or Ditko. Who did the inking of the last I- issue? Do you remember? Because we had this conversation before when Phantom Girl was crying. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. said, oh, she looks like right out of the pages of OMAC. Uh, mm-hmm. with the, with the crazy robot girl in the, uh, in the, in the thing. So maybe that's a thing that they, that they have here. Maybe what they're secretly saying is in the future that robot girl will be modeled upon. Oh wait, that doesn't work because OMAC happens before the events of this, as we discovered right. in that Brian Michael Bendis run. Um, the previous issue was, uh, Jim, J- Jimmy Jane's, you know, Jimmy mm-hmm. Jane's freaky fast delivery and Frank Charamonte. Yeah. So, so they have a thing for Kirby and, and OMAC. So there we go. Anyway, this ends on a cliffhanger. What we going to do, what we going to do when the earth is enveloped with, uh, iron chains. I think we're going to stalk our ex-girlfriends and we're going to talk about a crossover that will never happen. Right. But it is interesting the way, again, Thomas is kind of trying to weaponize, uh, some Legion lore because you know, everybody in the know knows that Reflecto was first seen in adventure 354 in the future. Adventures of the Archie, not the Archie Legion, sorry, the Adult Legion. Right. And was presented, you are correct, as dead, along with Chemical King, who later joined and then died, Shadow Woman, who we'll get to in about 20 issues. Uh, so write that down, put an asterisk click to it. Quantum Queen, who we later saw as a member of the Wanderers, and Feral Lad, who had literally died the issue before the Adult Legion story came out. So they're trying to, you know, follow up on these deep cuts and bringing Reflecto back. And while I'm yeah, kind making of everyone think that, oh, I know how this is going to end. Reflecto is going to sacrifice his life. Right. But there are a couple of things in that adult Legion story that are still treated as the real future and will be still treated for a couple more years as the real canonical only future of the Legion of Superheroes. Until somebody, and I think it's Paul Levitz, realizes not far down the line that, well, that's not something we can do. And then so, they reboot everything. So there you go. Right. But you, you bring in your Reflecto and the people are Zero. like, oh, Re- Re- Reflecto is the reason why we had Zero Hour. Thanks a lot, Reflecto. Reflecto. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Matthew, what did we learn this week? 
We learned that when you're Chuck Tane and his wife Lou, you don't bother to go back to active duty. You just raid the Continental Breakfast. Bubble Bottom. Ha ha, not funny. I don't necessarily know about that, but, you know, nothing says a villain like torturing a polar bear and building a secret network of satellites. So until next time, I'm... Hey, I don't know. I don't have... I've got nothing. I got nothing. My brain is melted because of these two... (laughs) Because of these two stupid issues, my brain is melted. And I'm Lord Wetham. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.